So we are, uh, hey, we're starting this series again today called Question Kids Ask, What's Allowed to Ask Aloud? Kids ask great questions, and we want to respond well. And in fact, many times they're asking the questions that we ask, and they're asking the questions that the world is asking. And so we want to respond in a way that invites more dialogue. That's, that's, that's highly important. Before I get into the conversation today, I, I wanted to share a brief story about that. About two months ago, it was nighttime, and I was hearing some giggling. By nighttime, it was like six or seven in our house. That's nighttime. And I heard some giggling in my bedroom. So I went, and it was a great noise, and I wanted to join in on what was happening. And there I went in my bedroom, and I found my eldest daughter and eldest son reading, looking through a book and just laughing and laughing. And uh, it was, the book was, I saw a glimpse of it, and it was, uh, it's a Smithsonian book. Uh, it's a historical survey of women and culture. And so the, they were looking at some artwork in this book, thick book. Sounds really intense, but it's just a thick book. And it was men and women, uh, a certain tribe with no shirts on, uh, basically naked from the belly button up. And there was, there was giggling, giggling as all giggles go out. And I walked in, and as I walked in, my, I just froze in that moment. I mean, time went like it went, but there was a moment in time where I was like, whoa, this can be a very pivotal moment for me and them. This could be a bridge building moment a very formational moment, or it can be a shaming moment and therefore distancing. I was like, all right, Lord, we got this. So I was like, hey, kids, what's going on? How you doing? What's going on over there? What are you looking at? And they're just giggling, and Mac was pointing essentially um, to a woman's breast and just pointing and giggling. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, yep, those, those are a woman's breast, and they are used for nursing babies and for intimacy. And uh, Lord help me, I said, they're fun, fun to be around. I think something along the lines. And at that moment, I think my daughter, like, was raptured. I mean, she disappeared out of the room. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, but Mac, who's like, oh, okay, okay. And so, so, so Mac responded, and he was like, I, I said something like, yeah, Ma Daddy gets to be with Mommy this way, which is great. And he was like, okay, okay. And then he, he asked me real beautifully, and I don't need you to bring this up to him ever. But he's like, okay, so when you're with a girl, you can start kissing, and then you can see those, and it's fun, and you get to play and stuff, right? And that was his thoughts. He's seven. And he's looking, I mean, that's what he was thinking, which is a wonderful thing. And I said, oh, yeah, son, that's a great question. And then that, oh, I was like, Lord, I need the words right now. Oh, I need your help. Oh, oh, in the midst of God saying, I got you. I said, yeah, well, daddy gets to be with mommy this way because he's committed to loving all the inside of her, all of her mistakes, all her sadness, all of her joy, all of her pain. I've committed to loving all the inside of her, and so that, therefore daddy gets to love all the outside. That's a really cool thing. And he was like, oh, okay, okay. And I was like, sweet, dude. And he was like, good, good. He's like, yeah. I was a snuggle later. He's like, yeah, okay. And that was that. And it's simple. When it comes to sex, we, we get to love all the outside when we commit to all the inside. That's the Christian view of marriage. That's questions that kids ask. Is it simple? Yeah. Is it comprehensive? Probably not. But is it inviting more conversation down the road? Am I making an ally or something else? My hope is I'm making it, we're making allies so that more conversations can come down the road. That won't be his last question, but he knows that this is an open door. So, uh, that, and that's kind of the heart in the series. 
I mentioned, I didn't say it was a scripture, but Peter writes that, always revere Christ as Lord in your hearts, and then always be prepared to give everyone who asks you uh, for the reason, uh, ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always prepared to give an answer to everyone to ask you for the reason for the hope that you have. Doing so with gentleness and respect. And that's, that's some of the goals in this series. They're really grand goals. I love them. That we explore these questions so that we can begin to have a confident understanding of the questions of faith. We're not going to get them all, but we're going to get some. And will they be complete? Probably not, but they'll be at least a conversation starter. And that what we would learn to respond well that invites more conversations, yes, with our kiddos. This is an opportunity to learn to disciple our kids as well as others. Also, opportunity to share these truths, beauty and mystery with the world that needs it so deeply. It's an opportunity to evangelize, to share good news with the world. And, and each question we have, within it is the ability to practice hearing and sharing the gospel. Every question is an inroads to the gospel. And, there, and there's going to be more questions, and we're going to tackle what we can tackle. But the schedule here is this, the schedule for the next seven weeks is we're going to talk about God, the Trinity. Next week we're talking about God's voice. What does it sound like? Some people feel like the Wi-Fi is off when it comes to the voice of God. It's like, I, I'm not hearing anything at all. Um, why do some people die before they're old? What is heaven like? Why aren't any disciples girls? Why do we go to church? Does God still love me one? And, and that's going to be a catch-all day, so we might have some fun with that one. Depending on how the series goes, we just want to pay attention to what God has. Why do I sin? miracles, maybe we'll do a Q&A. We're just going to be open what the Lord wants to do on that last day. That gives you an idea. Again, not comprehensive, but pretty good start. And it was basically done questioning our leadership team and questioning our kids. So we feel good about it. In fact, here is a, a, a way that we can hear today's question. Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, uh, Father, how many um, gods are there? Is there one? There it is. Or many? And that leads us to our question is how do we understand the Trinity in order to explain it? How do we understand the Trinity in order to explain it? The doctrine of the Trinity, it, it can sound boring, but it's one of the most foundational to our faith. It certainly is one of the most foundational, and, and it's ultimately the most difficult to understand. Can we understand it completely? No. God has a very complex identity which transcends the finite limitations of our human mind. They do. There's mystery in this conversation, but there is much that we can know. In fact, I, I want to squash an internal debate because I love that word mystery, but sometimes when we hear that word, and I don't think it's you all, but a lot of people in, in your lives may think this, oh, if there's mystery then God truly is not knowable. God's unknowable, and therefore your, your beliefs are without reason and therefore substance, right? But the truth is we can know God truly even if we can't understand God fully. We can know God truly even if we cannot understand God fully. God has made God's self known through creation, through the scriptures, through uh, God's people, through Jesus in the incarnation. In fact, the Holy Spirit is in that movement of hovering over creation, 
inspiring the scriptures, fueling the people, and obviously empower Jesus' ministry. God has made God's self known. I think another way you can look at it is if, if we could understand God fully, would God be God? That's, that's a pretty simple response. If we can understand God fully, God wouldn't be God. Um, but as I mentioned, there is a lot that we can know, so let's get into that. I'm going to read some of this. This is kind of like the nerd time, five minutes of nerd time, because we all need it. Uh, there's one God, one being three distinct persons. God is triune, triune, one living, true, and indivisible God, scriptures, existing in three unique and distinct persons. The first of the Godhead, God the Father, second, Jesus Christ the Son, and third, the Holy Spirit. Each member of the Trinity, tri-unity, is fully God, yet there is a diversity of function. God is a family of interdependent love. Any roles or function within this family, though important, are secondary to the relationships that triune God shares with one another. The word Trinity is not in the scriptures. You don't find it there. But it, it was a term reflected upon by the early church. It was somewhat formulated... Um, during the Council of Nicaea in 325 that was combating Arianism, which was saying that Jesus wasn't God, the Spirit wasn't God. It was somewhat finalized during a council called the Council of Constantinople in 481, and, and then um, somewhat codified in the Athanasius Creed. It's, it was it's something that's been formulated and thought over years and years. But what you can see, if Trinity is not in the Bible, oneness of God is definitely in the Bible. We just did a series, a word study on the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Uh, Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, which you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, people can separate that. Well, there's one over here, one over here. And it's actually, it's the unity of the spirit. It's all saying that's all in one, encapsulated in one. But it's actually a beautiful way to see the three distinct people as well. I think James 2, 19. James' book is a great commentary in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you believe there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. It's true. There's one God. And, of course, um, there are also three distinct persons clearly stated in Scripture. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The benediction that we share here, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, that's a Trinitarian benediction. May the grace of God, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And this starts to give you an idea of the different roles within the Godhead, the different roles that God, uh, the Father, he unites. He's the head and unites the deity. The Son is the one who reveals the deity both at creation and the incarnation, while the Holy Spirit carries out the ongoing work of the deity. Orthodoxy maintains that the Son and Spirit willingly do this work, lovingly. It's a joy for them because they're one. They are one. Even when you say, when you read that benediction, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, that, 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 that's even hard to say because it's the love of God the Father is what you're, they're saying. Sometimes when we say God, um, when you read God in Scripture, it's referring to God the Father. Other times, it's rep- re- representing Jesus and the Holy Spirit. In fact, tip, because they are one and yet three distinct people, when you read the Old Testament, it can be helpful to say, yeah, 
This may be God the Father, but Jesus is saying the same words that God the Father is saying here. When you're reading Numbers or some exit, something really difficult, it's like, this is, this is also Jesus' voice, though it may be the distinctness of the Father, what have you. They're one and together. It's a mystery. Again, 1 Peter 1, 2 introduces the three, the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctifying work of the Spirit, obedience to Jesus Christ. And you can look at the Old Testament, Genesis 1, and study the Trinity. Isaiah 9, 6, uh, the government will be on God's shoulder, or on his shoulders, and be called, be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. To quote Alan Parr, there's one God who coexists eternally in three distinct persons who are co-equal. The Godhead has always been there and always equal. That's what matters. You need to hear. To quote Tim Mackey, Bible Project, describe God as a triunity is the claim that the universe is held together by an eternal community of love, and I would add, self-giving love. Now, that's, that's what we know. And I'll, I'll show you my cards in a bit. But I thought it'd be fun to look at some of the ways that we confuse this. That's what we know what is God. What are some of the, how, what are some of the ways that we get it wrong? And I'm, I'm going to lend myself to my buddy St. Patrick, who I'm named after, just to kind of give us an idea of that. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple, okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms. Liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star and the light, and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him, exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like... Uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm gonna stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. Partialism? Yes, partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai Obviously. 
I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably a bit much. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Modalism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. Now let's all put on some giant green foam hats, get riotously drunk, and vomit in the Chicago River to celebrate our conversion. So what do you guys do for a living? Well, we come from a long line of snake farmers, Patrick, but truth be told, business has been real bad lately. Oh. Yeah, about that. I love that because it, it kind of paints all the analogies that we would use. Air, uh, first one's modalism, that God happens in three different states, like water. So, again, ice, temperature, water, and then vapor. I think I call it the Wonder Woman theory because she's Princess Diana in Themyscira. She is Wonder Woman with the Justice League and on her own, and then she's an undercover agent for the military operatives, and so that's Diana Prince. She wears different masks. That's modalism. Uh, Arianism, which you heard is like sun, the sun creating heat and light. That's what had to be condemned right away, saying that Jesus is not God and the Holy Spirit is not God, which this is fundamental to our faith, which is why the Trinity matters so much. Um, another one we get caught up on is partialism. It's actually really one that we use a lot. That's the egg, like the, the shell and the abumen. That's what the white stuff's called. I didn't know it was called that, yolk. Or the apple, core, flesh, um, skin. Core, flesh, that's right. Um, and that's an affront really, um, that's, that's just an affront because that de-deifies God. Uh, another one is, that's not used as much is tritheism or polytheism, that they're all gods. Somewhat similar to what you would see in like the Greek and myth Greek and mythological roots. What's problem with that is it, there's a lot of problems with that. But you start deifying everything. You start deifying first the enemy and all these things. But it's like no, no, no. There's only one God. That's only one God, and it's an affront to our Jewish monotheistic roots. And there's been so many analogies: trees with branches, an amorphous three-dimensional blob that intersects a two-dimensional plane that's our reality in three spots, and it's like, whoa. Um, the truth is, every analogy breaks down. It does. And, and there's a picture of just, I think is helpful, that was codified in the, the Athanasian Creed. St. Patrick mentioned that the Father is not the Son, is not the Holy Spirit, is not the Father. But the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. And What's complex about it is one plus one plus one in the mystery of it all equals one. That's, that's why it can't be explained. Each analogy breaks down, and to paraphrase Calvin, if anybody tries to say they've, they've figured out the Trinity, don't trust them. That said, here's my take. <laughs> 
here's, I mean, we got to answer our kids. So here's, here's my take. And I, 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 it, will, it will quickly lead to tritheism or partialism. But I think grammar matters. Okay, here's my take. You ready? Our one God is a family of perfect love that invites us in. I think if a kid was asking us, I'd be like, hey, hey, what is, who is God? What is God? Oh, our one God. Oh, first off, I'd say it's a wonderful mystery. That way I'm like not completely a heretic. But our one God is a family, a perfect love that invites us in. You can say it quickly because our God, if you is, is, means God's, God's singular. Our God is a family of perfect love that invites us in. Again, it's incomplete. But here's the deal. Jesus uses those kind of words. How does he describe the first God? Of the, sorry. How does he describe the first deity, the first person of the Godhead? It's got to watch even how you say this. How does he describe the first person of the Godhead? Father, Pater. That's, this is the Son. In fact, the Holy Spirit, the way he describes it, a lot of the early church believed that the Holy Spirit had maternal qualities. The Holy Spirit was this comforter and guide and convictor. Um, the Holy Spirit is grieved. However, and I, I was going to say when we pan out, no, if we look at each, if we look at the Godhead, there's actually maternal and paternal qualities in, in each person of the Godhead. In fact, we read in Isaiah 49, 19, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? There they are again. And have no compassion on the child she has born. Sorry about that. Though she may forget you, I will not forget you. I'm going to say that again without my unnecessary commentary. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? And have no compassion on the child she has born. Though she may forget you, I will not forget you. God's love is compared to a mother's love here, and even greater. And God, God is actually not an engendered being. Philosophically, how can a God who's either male or female make humanity in his image both male and female? That doesn't make sense. So then why is the father the father? And why did Jesus come as a male? Here's the barrage of questions that are come. I'm not entirely sure. I, I, it probably has a lot to do with entering into a very patriarchal cultural. And uh, that, that, that probably has almost everything to do with it. Unfortunately, women weren't considered at that time equal in dignity to men. One of the mainly things that Jesus and the New Testament church has come to correct. That's how I would respond to that. Oh, why God the Father when I already have a dad? This is a question we get a lot. Why God the Father when I already have a dad? Well, God, and Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 11, God the Father is a giver of good gifts. And one of the gifts he gives you is parents or guardians. Parents or guardians who in turn are to care for you and guide you back to God. You see how that works? God the Father gives you good gifts, that's your parents or guardians, who in turn uh, directs you back to God. That, of course, leads to, well, I had a crappy childhood or I, I was fostered, or anything like that. And all of us need God to repair in us, which is why we need to be guided back to God. All of us need the Lord to repair in us. That doesn't, I'm not saying that to dismiss our pain, and the pain is not equal, but all of us need God to repair in us. God says he's the God who heals us. There's more questions, but I want to get into a little bit of Scripture just to kind of help us understand this perfect love a bit. The question is asked is how do we understand the Trinity in order to explain it? The answer I'm saying, our one God is a family of perfect love and we're invited in. Let's take a peek at this perfect love. And we're over halfway done, by the way. Just want to give you a heads up. 
it's going to be a quick look at the scripture. So we're looking at Matthew 13 through 17. This is the baptism of Jesus before um, Jesus did anything in his ministry, before his, any healings, any feedings, any raising others from the dead, before he himself taking a cross. He was baptized uh, by John the Baptist. It says it this way. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter, to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this passage. Thank you, Lord, for it. There's a lot that could be said about just how our identity precedes any responsibility we have, how our covenant identity in God precedes any responsibility, how our being precedes our doing, how we know who we are helps us to understand how we are to live. There's a lot I could say about that. But what's cool about that, given our conversation, is there is all the Trinity showing up in a historical narrative. All three in one spot. And it gives us, through just some critical reflections, some great information, some great truths about what we can know about this, this love that God has. The first point today as we consider what about this perfect love is God exists in perfect relationship. God lives in perfect relationship. He's full, God is fully satisfied from the love that the Trinity shares with one another. The Spirit rests on Jesus. The Father speaks words of affirmation. Jesus in his ministry just defers to Jesus, talks about the Spirit who will do even greater things than I. The Spirits are known as the words of Christ, ultimately meant to glorify God. There's just a beautiful symbiotic relationship happening here. The Godhead lives in perfect love and doesn't need anything from anyone. They share a self-giving, interdependent love. And we are made in God's image, which clearly means that you are made for others, that you, in fact, need others. You belong to others, and they belong to you. That's one of the implications of knowing this perfect love and how this perfect love creates. I think as I say that, that begs the question, if God's fulfilled within God's self, why did God create the world? That's another question you get. You got a lot of bonuses today. Why did God create the world? God created out of the Trinity's perfect, expanding love. That's what it's about. When the sky opened up and this wondrous event happened in the midst of so many witnesses, God was making himself known, God making God's self known clearly to the creation that he loves. And God was, and the Godhead was making Jesus known. The Spirit was being known apart from individuals that we see in the Old Testament. You're you're seeing this knownness because God wants to know us and God wants us to be known by God. This isn't, the world's not some cosmic experiment. God is known as love in 1 John 4, 6 and 4, 18 or 4, 8 and 4, 16. God is love. It says it somewhere there. Read 1 John 4. And love shares. Love inherently creates. Love creates. Love serves. Love Gives, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that those who believe would not perish, but have eternal life. 
God created us so that he could be with us. That's why he created. He, he wanted to expand God's love. This is why it says in the beginning that God liked to walk with us in the cool of the day. Genesis 3, he was looking for the first two in the cool of the day. But then sin happened. Sin happened. Kind of a mess. Sinned, um, stole our joy. It steals our joy. Sin ruins relationships. It creates unjust power structures. It deteriorates creation. So that leads to another question. Why did God create a broken world? Or if you're more mature, you'll preface it this way. Why did God create a world that he knew would be, that God knew would be infected by sin or affected by sin? That's a very interesting question. It's a very interesting question. And the answer of that simply is, he likes you. That is, that's the best answer I've found. God created a world knowing that it would be affected by sin because he likes you, Claire. We, he, likes, he likes Maureen. He likes Matt. He likes you. God created anticipating brokenness because he really, really loves you and wants to save you. We well, can ask, like, what's wrong with God? Why would he create a broken world? Is he erroneous? Is there something wrong with him? No, he just really, really likes yo. He really, really likes Brandy. And whatever the path it takes for Brandy to be, he's gonna, he, that's the path he chose. I don't understand. It's a mystery. He really likes Craig, and that blows my mind. Just kidding, buddy. <laughs> it's my brother. John 15, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It's proper for us to, it is proper for us to, be, to do this, to be baptized, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus receives the baptism of repentance. It's gonna, we're going to go full circle, but this go on me on this tangent. Jesus was baptized. Why was Jesus baptized? The, the baptism of repentance was, represented a baptism of, of the need to be washed of your sins, the need to repent. But what we know, orthodoxy states, is that Jesus is sinless. So why was Jesus baptized? We've got a lot of questions, right? Why is Jesus questions? Well, Jesus was baptized by John to signify his identity with humanity. Even now, Jesus is advocating for you. That's what the scriptures say. Somewhere in Hebrews, I can't remember it. That Jesus is our advocate. Jesus prays for us. Jesus was baptized to say, I, I've got their back. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he who knew no sin became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. There's an amazing moment happening in this point of history where the baptism of repentance is now going to become the baptism of new life. Some call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a baton handoff between what we know of the old covenant and the new covenant where John is handing baton off to Jesus. This is why the early church looked back as their baptism, as a representation of, of, of being washed, the regenerative work of the Spirit. They're purified by God. They're washed by the Spirit. John's baptism looks forward. Christ's baptism looks back, and Christ is taking the baton right now to saying he's with humanity. Make sense, kind of? What that means is, as we think about our erroneous God, which is, I'm saying that in quotes, or our, our God who seems foolish to make a broken world, is there's something about the human project there's something about being a human where we're created in God's image, created by this love, 
And at the same time, there's something about human about where we get the free to choose God. And we freely don't choose God, each and every one of us, until the necessity to see the extent of what that love looks like. The extent of God's love. There's something about being human that needs to know, will God love me like a kid? Will my parents love me even if? Even if my parents love me? And God's like, yes. And that's the cross. Where then we see that and we're like, oh, this is the place of love. This is my safe place. I can trust this God. And therefore we can freely choose God knowing that this is the right space for me. That's just the mystery of the human project. And of course, it's an opportunity to share the gospel. You see how that works? I really like this series. I'm so stoked. When you're baptized, you're asked three questions. And this is the Christian baptize. This is um, essentially the the second act of your faith. The first act is to respond and, and to repent and to confess your sin, yes, but to confess your need for God a God who has saved you and actually is the one who's drawn you to yourself, the one who's helping you confess. What's up, Mike? The one who's drawn you in, to confess you in. And then baptism is not a graduation. You don't need to get all your act together. Actually, baptism is an initiation. It's the the next act. It's an outward symbol representing an inward reality that God has grabbed hold of you and you're grabbing the one who's grabbed hold of you. That's what that is. And we asked three questions, and I thought, what a great way to share the gospel. I'd love for us, as we think of today, to remember this baptism. To remember that our God, our God, our one God is a family, a perfect love that has invited us in. And maybe we'll invite others in. So here's the baptism questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God's one and only son and that he lived the perfect life, died on your behalf and resurrected from the dead so that you may have eternal life today and forever with him? That's a question we ask when we're in that ocean. The second question is, have you placed your faith? This is an orthopraxis question. Have you made this Jesus Christ Lord and leader of your life? You're not just believing about God. You're believing in. You're putting yourself on God's back. And then the last question, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do you commit to Christ's body, the local church, God's expanded family, with your time, your talent, and resources for the sake of God's kingdom, giving yourself all to God who's given all of God's self to you. That's it. That's the gospel. So I, I want to commend us to remember our baptism because in that moment when we do, we're living the truth that you are God's child, whom God loves, and with you, he's vi- God is very well pleased.